Isn't it wonderful to be in the house of the Lord this morning? And uh, we're so glad that you are here in person, and uh, I also realize there are many folks who are joining us online this morning, and uh, welcome to you as well. And uh, we're just trusting, as we've already been spoken to through the worship this morning, we're praying now that God will speak to us through His Word. By the way, thank you for those who were the lead worshipers this morning. Uh, you do what I cannot do. If I was up here singing this morning, my voice would fill the room and you would have to leave to make room for it. I'm one of those make a joyful noise unto the Lord people. And so thank you for what you do. Uh, you know what they did for us this morning? What they did for me anyways was to help me see Christ high and lifted up in this place. And uh, it prepares my heart for the ministry of the Word, and I trust that your heart is prepared as well. So thank you again for the privilege and the opportunity to, uh, to be here this morning. Uh, as mentioned, my surname is Thorogood. If you ever forget it, it is a big name to live up to. Just think Godfrey and Thorogood. Little did my parents know when they were giving me that first name, as well as the surname that I inherited from them, what I would have to live up to. But if you forget my surname, uh, just think of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, so the man of God may be what? Thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's right there in 2 Timothy 3, 17, okay? That'll help you remember my surname. I do have the privilege of uh, serving since January at uh, Heritage College and Seminary. My role is Director of Ministry Partners. Uh, that part of my role involves coming alongside pastors and churches and donors and alumni and just uh, engaging them in the uh, ministry of heritage. You are one of our heritage partner churches. As of now, we've had seven new partner churches come on since January. We have uh, 120 partner churches. And so thank you for your support, your encouragement, and uh, your prayers for Heritage College and Seminary. It is deeply valued, deeply appreciated. And uh, also, my other part of my role is Director of Internships. And uh, my heart and passion is that we see our students obviously well-equipped with theological education. That's vitally important but also with practical guided ministry experience in the context of the local church or other ministries where God can use them, but also prepare them for long-term ministry. And uh, as I've moved into my role at Heritage, uh, we are now moving towards, and we'll start marketing this fall, our preferred option for our students will be instead of the traditional internship, which involves in uh, most of our degree programs 210 hours over two semesters or in one summer of practical ministry experience, is to move towards two years of guided ministry experience in the context of a local church or other ministry where they would basically take their final year of education and instead of doing it in eight months, spread it over 24 months. But then they will be immersed full-time in the context of good teaching churches. Don't you value that uh, those who you see in the medical field, your doctors, nurses, they had to be immersed in a good teaching hospital before they could become your doctor or your nurse. Don't you value that and appreciate that? Aren't you glad when you go for surgery and the surgeon doesn't have to say to you, you're my very first one. I've never seen this done before. I've read it in the textbook. I'm pretty sure I can do this. You're going to be thinking, I think I'm getting off the table, and I'm going to wait till I can find someone else who will do that surgery. Well, just as we value good teaching hospitals, we need to have good teaching churches where pastors, staff people, leaders in the church are investing in the next generation. And you know what? Heritage exists for the church. If there was no church, there'd be no need for heritage. <laughs> and so we want to do our part in raising up and equipping the next generation of pastors, church planters, missionaries, and workers for the church. And we need those good teaching churches that will invest in that next generation. When I served with Feb Central, this is something we implemented, and we saw over 73 students plug in and choose to finish their degree by way of a two-year full-time internship. I can tell you this, their longevity in ministry is far greater because of what they learned during that two years immersed full-time in the context of a local church. Nothing wrong with 210 hours at the college level or 500 hours at the seminary level. That can be good, valuable experience as well. But longevity is far greater 
because of that time that they are immersed full-time in the context of a church. So pray for that as we begin to market that to both current and future students. Uh, we're looking forward to that opportunity and doing a greater job at equipping the next generation. Pray for the school. As with uh, universities and colleges, as Matt already mentioned, last year was difficult and challenging, but also an absolutely wonderful year on our campus. And we are grateful for God's hand of protection and God's guidance through the year. And as we move into this fall, we are planning a hybrid model where students, both college and seminary, can either be in class or they can do everything 100% online or they can do a mixture of both depending where they live geographically. So please pray for that. It's a new time at the school and wonderful opportunities that God has in store for us. Back in the spring of this year, we had 36 college students graduate and 50 seminary students graduate. And many of those are now out serving in local churches, uh, other ministries, as missionaries, as church planters, and really taking the good news of the gospel across Canada and around the globe as a result of their equipping at Heritage College and Seminary. And we're also moving uh, this fall, and you'll hear more about this. We'll have a public kickoff on October the 1st of a brand new capital campaign as we are looking forward to building a dedicated seminary building right there on our property at Heritage College and Seminary. So please pray for that. You'll hear more about that. And it's far more than a seminary building. It's a place where uh, leadership and others in local churches can come and be equipped in very practical ways without being full-time students at Heritage. It'll also have a global outreach center as we expand our vision and focus on world and global missions. And it'll also have the opportunity for a ministry placement center to help our, our students find places of ministry and employment as God directs them. Thank you for your prayers for our beloved Dr. Stan Fowler. Uh, many of us remember him back in Central Baptist Seminary days where I went to school in Toronto and, and many, many years serving faithfully at Heritage. And I know God's used him in ministry here with you. And I've been in touch with his daughter, Carissa, on a regular basis. And uh, we're just really praying this week. Would you pray this week that he is able to come back to Canada? Donna and the rest of the family would just love him to be back here in Canada. Yes, he has to go directly back into the hospital. But uh, there's just that sense of being closer to home uh, during such a difficult time. God is meeting their needs at this point. But uh, once we find out, once he's discharged from hospital, Carissa has shared that then they will have a greater picture of what the needs will be financially. And so Heritage will be sending out an opportunity for people to donate through Heritage. Feb Central uh, Ministry Center is joining us in that. They will be sending it out as well to the Feb Central pastors and churches. And again, just the opportunity in very practical ways to help meet some needs. Well, now it's our privilege to spend some time together in the Word. Would you bow with me in prayer and allow me to speak to the author of this incredible book before we study it together this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the joy and the privilege that is ours to be here this morning. And Father, whether it's uh, through the technology and folks that are joining us online or those that are here in the sanctuary this morning, Father, my prayer for myself and for all of us is the same prayer that Paul had for the church at Ephesus, that you would, by your Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts. And Father, we pray that we would be ready not only to listen to the truth of your Word this morning, but also, also then as the Spirit moves in our hearts to respond in obedience to what you're saying to us, that we would be those that not only are mere uh, hearers of the Word, but also those who desire deeply to put it into practice and to live it out in our daily lives. So, Lord, guide us by your Spirit, we pray. We love you. We thank you for your word today. We thank you that at this time in our history in Canada, we still have the freedom to be able to study your word together. Guide us by your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've just come through the uh, Tokyo Olympics, uh, but back in... 2012, when the Olympics were in London in the UK, the two weeks following the Olympics, gym membership in North America increased by 15%. Why did so many people following the two weeks of the London Olympics run out and buy a gym membership? Well, they saw these incredible athletes on television, and they thought, if, if I get a gym membership, 
If I start working out, if I start getting the kind of exercise that, that those kind of people had, then maybe I can get in shape. And, and though I'll probably never be an Olympic athlete, I can at least be like them. They wanted to imitate these incredible athletes that they saw on television. By the way, did you know in North America, only 5% of those who go out and buy a gym membership ever go to the gym more than one time in a calendar year? But doesn't it sound great to say, I have a gym membership? That's impressive to your friends, right? Well, when I was growing up, and uh, I grew up not too far here from the city of Guelph, in, I grew up in Georgetown, uh, where my dad still resides. And when we moved there in uh, summer of 1967, my older brother and I started meeting uh, boys in our neighborhood. And because we so enjoyed hockey night in Canada on Saturday nights, on Saturdays during the day, and usually often on Sunday afternoons, especially during the winter, uh, we would grab all of our nets, all of our hockey gear. My parents said, you're not allowed to play hockey on the road. That just disrupts the cars coming down the street. So they said, take your gear and go to the school around the corner and on Saturdays and Sundays with a large empty parking lot we would spend hours playing ball hockey and guess who would show up to play ball hockey with us on those Saturdays and Sunday afternoons some of you will remember the names like like Daryl Sittler or Phil or Tony Esposito or, or Mike Bossy uh, just incredible players back during that time now they really didn't show up <laughs> They were our favorite players, and we would wear their jerseys, and we would imitate their signature moves. And by the way, you know how the book of Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun? Well, often one team would be Montreal, and one team would be Toronto. And every week, Montreal always beat Toronto. <laughs> nothing new under the sun. As much as things change, they stay the same. Now, some of you probably right now are going to tune me out for the rest of the sermon, right? <laughs> well, we were imitating our, our favorite players, their signature moves. When we think about imitating others, if you're here this morning as a, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to ask yourself, and I need to ask myself, two important questions. Number one is this, is my life as a follower of Jesus truly worthy of imitation? And number two, what do I need to guard carefully as a follower of Jesus in order to ensure as I live my life from day to day as a disciple of Jesus that my life truly is worthy of imitation? Listen to the words of Apostle, the Apostle Paul. The verse will be on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. What does Paul say? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's a bold statement for a man to make, isn't it? But when I think of myself as a, primarily as a, as a husband and as a father, uh, as I think about you this morning, again, primarily as uh, if you're married as a, as a husband or a father, or, uh, as a mother, as a grandparent, that's a statement that if you are a follower of Jesus, you should be able to make. That's a statement that, that I should be able to make in front of my children and in front of my wife and in front of all those that we serve. It's a statement that every follower of Jesus should strive to live out in front of our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our coworkers, our, our fellow students, if you're here in school. Anyone we connect with from day to day should be able to look at us and clearly see Jesus. The Apostle Paul said to, to young Pastor Timothy, you know, the things you have learned and heard and received or seen in me, he says, put those things into practice. Paul strived to live a life that was truly worthy of imitation. And that should be our desire as well as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do I need to guard carefully? That's the question we want to answer this morning. And I want to share with you four things from the Word of God that we need to guard carefully in order to ensure our lives are truly worthy of imitation. Number one is this. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, whether you're hard copy of the, the Word of God or on your smartphone or your tablet this morning, please join me. And by the way, I encourage you, again, whether you're at home this morning or every Sunday when you're able to come to in-person services, bring with you a copy of the Word of God. 
Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15, Paul would say, first of all, to us this morning, if we're going to ensure our lives are truly worthy of imitation, we must guard our ways, or as often we hear, we must guard our walk. Pick up with me, Ephesians 5, verse 15. Paul says this, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or uncontrolled living. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Lord for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does Paul say here in in verse 15? Be very careful then how you live. It's due to the world that we live in, right? What does he say? These days are evil. Would you agree with that this morning? (laughs) It's all around us. And let's be honest, the Bible is very clear. No matter what your your eschatology is, no matter what you believe about end times and the return of Christ and how all the details are going to be worked out, the bottom line is Jesus is coming back. But before He does, our world is going to get darker. But you know what I would say to us this morning to encourage us? The darker it gets in the world, the greater the opportunity for our light to shine for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what happens as it gets darker, the candle burns brighter, right? And we have a wonderful opportunity as followers of Jesus in the time that God is giving us to live out our lives that are truly worthy of imitation and to be the salt and light that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5. When Paul says here, be very careful, what does he mean? Well, one translation, instead of saying saying being very careful, says walk circumspectly. Now, how many of you used the word circumspectly in your vocabulary last week? Uh, One, I see one person, uh, very unusual. (laughs) It's, uh, It's an old English word. It's a compound word. But it really helps us understand, that translation helps us understand what Paul is talking about here. Now, are you smarter than a... uh, I'll even say a first grader this morning. Uh, The first half of the word is circum. We derive our English word circumference. What what is that? What's circumference? You remember from grade one? It's the distance around the outside of a circle. Keep that in your mind. The second half of the word is the word spectally. It's where we derive our English word for spectacles. We now call them eyeglasses. Many of you, like me, are wearing your spectacles this morning. If I were to take these eyeglasses off, All of you would look incredibly fuzzy, but every one of you to my left and to your right would have a good-looking twin sitting right beside you. It's because my left eye wanders. Now, it's fine if I took them off here in the sanctuary. It's a very different picture for me if I'm driving down the 401, doing at 100 kilometers an hour, if I took off these eyeglasses. What do these eyeglasses do for us who need them? They help us to see clearly. So what is Paul saying here? by being very careful. Literally, before you make any decision in life, whether it's related to your finances, where you're going to go, what you're going to (laughs) do, the things you're going to watch, the books you're going to read, what you're going to see on the internet, before you make any decision, literally look all around you before you take that step towards that decision. Be very careful. Walk circumspectly. Paul goes on to say here, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Well, where do we learn the wisdom of God? One of our young people here this morning, if they came and asked you, I'm looking for the wisdom of God, where would you point them right away? I hope your answer would be to the Word of God. Because in the Word of God, we find the wisdom of God. Paul goes on to say, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. This is all part of being very careful how we live, knowing the wisdom of God and knowing the will of God. If that same young person came to you and said, you know, I can find the wisdom of God in the Word of God, but where do I find the will of God? Well, where would you point them? I would hope, again, your response would be to the Word of God. And often when a a teenager or young adult would come uh, to myself when I was serving in those pastor roles and say, you know, where, how do I know the will of God for my life? Often they're thinking about what? The future. 
You know, how do I know uh, what degree to get? (laughs) How do I know what God has in store for me five, ten years down the road? My response would always be, before you can know the will of God for the future, you've got to be willing to do the will of God from day to day. How can God direct us towards the future if we're not willing to do what He's already told us to do from day to day? By the way, that's not just for teenagers and young adults. That's for us as older adults this morning as well. We want to know the will of God from day for the future. We've got to be willing to obey the will of God, which is automatically found for us as followers of Jesus in the Word of God. See, the Word of God is so valuable, right? If we're really going to know how to live lives that are truly worthy of imitation, because it's here we find the wisdom of God and the will of God. When I think of the Word of God, uh, one picture that's helpful for me is what I call the safety of the backyard fence. Uh, When we moved into Georgetown in uh, the summer of 1967, we had lived in Brampton for two years when we immigrated from England. My parents uh, were able to scrape together a down payment for their home. Uh, Back then, it was only (laughs) $1,000, and they were able to then purchase that home. It was a brand new home and a brand new uh, survey that was being built. And when we moved in, the first thing my parents did was put a six-foot fence across the back of the property, and our neighbors did the same. Why did my parents do that? Well, there were two little boys in that home who loved to play in the backyard. And for that particular home, it backs onto Highway 7, which runs through Georgetown. My parents, though, also decided, in conjunction with our neighbors, not only the six-foot fence across the back of the property, but four-foot fences. By the way, those were the days when people only put up four-foot fences. They still like to talk to their neighbors over the fences. What do people do now? Small yard, huge fence. (laughs) They don't connect with their neighbors anymore. But the four-foot fence down the side, and then four-foot fences with gates on either side up to the side of the house. Then, the next summer, our neighbors put in a swimming pool. Don't you love it when your neighbors put in a swimming pool and you have a good relationship with your neighbors on these hot summer days? Well, our neighbors put in that pool. They already had fences all around their yard, but they also, according to the town bylaw, had to put up another fence around the pool with a gate and with a lock on that gate. Now, why all these fences? Was it to take away the fun of at that point in time, a six-year-old and a nine-year-old boy? No, it was to keep us safe. We got into trouble when we went over the fences. (laughs) That's when we got into trouble. And that's how I view the Word of God. When we think about the wisdom of God and the will of God in living these lives worthy of imitation, the Word of God provides for all of us this morning the safety of the backyard fence. When we live within the the parameters of the Word of God, (laughs) we have nothing to be concerned about. It's when we step over the fence, when we we move away from the truth of God's Word, when we begin to live our lives and doing what we want to do instead of what God tells us to do, that's when we get into trouble. And that can impact our lives individually, and it can impact our families, and I've discovered it can even impact the family of a local church. See, Paul says, be very careful how you live. There's incredible value in God's Word for us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say to young Pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Paul knew that both were absolutely vital in order to live a life truly worthy of imitation. Romans 16, verse 19, Paul says, Be wise about what is good. Be innocent about what is evil. If you're here as a parent with young children, and God bless you for bringing your young children to the house of God this morning, or if you're watching online today, thank you for doing so. Or if you're a parent of a teenager or a young adult, we don't have to expose our children to what's evil in order for them to know how to avoid it. What we need to expose them to is what is good. Be wise about what is good. And then when evil presents itself, our children and our young people, our young adults will know that it's bad, that it's against the truth of God's Word. So pour into them the good things. I love what it says in the book of Proverbs. The steps of good men are ordered by the Lord. 
Don't worry about what your children are going to do with their lives. That's a concern of parents, right? We're always saying, what are they going to do with their lives? What, What does God have for my kids in the future? Don't worry about that. What you need to be concerned about is who they are as followers of Jesus. Raise them to the best of your ability with a lot of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the blessing of a good church family. Raise them to be good men and good women. And then the truth of God's Word will come into play. The steps of good men and good women are ordered by the Lord. Number one, to live a life truly worthy of imitation, we must guard our ways. We must guard our walk. Number two, we must guard our words. Go back with me to Ephesians uh, verse 20, chapter 4, verse 25. Just a few verses here from Ephesians 4. Paul says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Uh, verse 29 of Ephesians 4, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And then Ephesians 4, verse 15, Paul says, instead, speaking the truth in love. There's so many references. These are just a few throughout the Word of God in regards to our words, our vocabulary, the things that come out of our mouth, what people hear from us. Go through the book of Proverbs, do a study, highlight all the verses that speak to us about our speech. There are just dozens of verses there full of wisdom for us in our practical daily lives. We think about the book of James, which which challenges us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. God gave us two ears and one mouth. We need to learn to use them in that proportion. We remember the words spoken to us by influential people in our lives. And our words can build others up, or as we know, it can tear them down. We need to be people, especially within the family of God, who offer words of encouragement. It's a bit of a lost art today, but we desperately need to encourage one another. Why? All the more as the days grow darker. We desperately need it. If we're going to get through these times in the power of God, and yes, we have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we need to be encouraged by those within the family of God. And that's the value of a good local church. Encourage one another. When you as an older adult this morning, you see one of these young parents doing something right with their children, encourage them. We've been through it. Our son is 29. Our daughter is 26. (laughs) We're thankful both of them know and love the Lord and striving to live their lives for the Lord and using the careers that God has led them into for the glory of God. We couldn't ask for any more as parents. But I sure am thankful that when our kids were younger, the people who came alongside and encouraged us and even challenged us (laughs) when they noticed something that, hey, could use some correction, they came alongside gently and helped us in those areas. That's the family of God. So we encourage those, especially who are younger parents. If you see a teenager, a young adult doing something right, encourage them in the Lord. These students that Matt was talking about, they need a huge amount of encouragement, especially if they already know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, because they're on those campuses, and God has a place for them there, not just to get an education, but also to serve as an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. Encourage them. We can also offer words of discipline, words of exhortation. Paul says, speak the truth, and do it in love, but we still need to speak the truth, right? And I believe we do one another in the family of God a terrible disservice if when we see a brother or sister in Christ struggling in sin and we do absolutely nothing. Now, obviously, when we go to them, it's helpful, number one, if you have a relationship, and it's helpful, number two, if you've done some personal self-examination before you go. And we are reminded of that in in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus talks about that delicate spiritual surgery that we can do in the life of a brother or sister in Christ, removing the speck from their eye. What do we have to do first? We got to make sure we remove that big beam, that two by four coming out of our own head first. We got to look in the mirror 
and do a personal self-examination and make sure that before we go, there's nothing in our lives that's hindering our walk with the Lord. And then we go in humility, we go in gentleness, we go in love, but we still speak the truth. Let's do that for one another. We need to provide words of direction, sometimes to instruct and to lead others, those who are already doing what is right. I loved it when I served as a pastor and and you'd have someone in the congregation come to you and say, you know, pastor, as I've been reading the Word of God or listening to the Word of God being preached or taught, you know, God is speaking to my heart in this area. What do you think I need to do in response to that? I loved when people would come that way. And for those of you involved in Crestwick as as elders and pastoral staff and ministry leaders, I pray God gives you wonderful opportunity to have the people you are ministering to come to you and just simply say, I need help moving forward. We need it in our marriage. We need it as parents. We want to do things right for the glory of God. And we can offer wonderful words, again, based on the truth of God's Word to help move people forward in their walk with the Lord. But let's be very careful with our words, the words that we share with others, the words we speak, because people are listening. And by the way, even in our own homes, especially between husbands and wives, the words that we speak to one another, no matter how young your children are, they are listening. They might not say anything, but they are listening. And I think all of us would realize it's not just the words, but also the way in which we communicate those words can make a huge difference in the life of our spouses and in the lives of our children. Guard your ways, guard your words. Number three, we also need to guard our work. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and here again we see the Apostle Paul being so very practical when it comes to the truth of God's Word. 2 Thessalonians 3, pick up with me in verse 6. Paul says this, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to do what? Follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we didn't have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to, you to imitate. The Bible, again, as it has a great deal to speak about our words, has a great deal to speak to us about our work. Again, go through the book of Proverbs. <laughs> Dozens of verses related to our work ethic, about laziness, looking to the example in God's creation of, for example, the ants and how they work. And we are designed to work. God's made us that way. By the way, there's no retirement in God's economy. Yes, you may finish your, your, your work, your place of labor, but there's always work to do in the kingdom of God. And as long as God gives you physical health and strength, we all need to be serving God and doing what He wants us to do. And even for those, and I've known many people like this in years where they don't have the physical health and strength anymore, They are some of the greatest prayer warriors I have ever met in my life. And they recognize that now needs to be my work for the Lord. And obviously, and Paul understood this, and we know this today, especially during COVID, there are times when we have to receive uh, outside assistance in order to provide for our families for various reasons. We're not able to do our job anymore. It might be health. It might be unemployment. But our desire should be to work for the kingdom of God and using what God has given us for His glory. I love what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. Paul says this, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to do what? Work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent upon anyone. That's an incredible verse. Did you realize just by the way you do your everyday work, wherever your everyday work is, your place of employment, if you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, that's your place of work. Uh, If you are retired, 
than what you do from day to day. Maybe it's out in McDonald's meeting with your friends, or it's coming alongside others to help them and doing practical work for people. Whatever that might look like for you. If you're a student, (laughs) that's your place of work, and maybe you have a part-time job at McDonald's or somewhere else as well. That's your place of work. Wherever your place of work takes you from day to day, Paul says you can win the respect of outsiders. Who is he talking about? those who do not yet know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, like Paul, should have the greatest work ethic of anyone in our places of employment. There is no place for entitlement in the life of a follower of Jesus. We cannot call in sick when we are truly not sick. It's example. And God can use us in incredible ways in our places of employment. To pay my way through uh, Bible college back in the late 70s and early 80s, God provided uh, one summer, uh, for two summers, I served as a customs clerk for Canadian General Electric in the city of Toronto. And for two summers, I served as a sanitary engineer in the town of Halton Hills there in Georgetown. People would ask me from church, how's work gone this week? I'd say, things were always picking up. (laughs) I absolutely love that job. Uh, you might think, oh, that's awful. But I absolutely loved it. It was a great job to have for those two summers. And it paid me enough to pay my way for those four years, those two jobs, all the way through with no school debt. I was very thankful for that. But while I was working in those two places of employment over those four summers, I came to recognize that this was not just a place of employment for me to save money to pay my way for Bible college. No, God had put me there for a purpose. And he gave me wonderful opportunities, and this was probably the the first time in my life that I'd ever come to realize it, that I was there as an ambassador for Christ. By the way, did you know this morning that if you're a follower of Jesus, you are an ambassador? 2 Corinthians 5. We are ambassadors for Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm probably not going to be chosen as the, the next Canadian ambassador to another country. Probably going to be someone in politics or someone higher up in society as we think of society. It's probably not going to be me. But God has made you as a follower of Jesus an ambassador. What does an ambassador do? He represents his homeland in a foreign country. And you know what? We are not citizens of this earth, are we? The moment we came to repentance and faith in Jesus, we traded in our citizenship. And we became citizens of God's kingdom. And until God takes us home, we live here on this earth. We live in a foreign land. It's difficult. It's challenging. But God is leaving us here for a purpose. It's up to God when He chooses to take any of us home or when Jesus Christ, if that happens first, comes back for His church. We don't know when that will be. But whatever it is, as long as God has you and me here on planet Earth, we are ambassadors for Christ. And it goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 5 that we've been entrusted with two things. Anybody know what those two things are? The ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation. We have the incredible privilege to help people get into a right relationship with God. Just as people helped me, people who were willing to pick up a snotty-nosed bus kit and get him to Sunday school so he could hear the truth of God's Word, people who loved me for Jesus enough to do that, they were ambassadors for Christ. And they did the ministry of reconciliation, and they shared with me the message of reconciliation. What's the ministry of reconciliation? That's the clear, visual demonstration of our faith. It's what we do for Jesus. What's the message of reconciliation? That's the concise, verbal declaration the message of the gospel. And by the way, we desperately need to do the clear visual demonstration part, but we ultimately need the concise verbal declaration of the gospel. Because we are reminded in Romans 10 verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? By the Word of God. We have to declare the gospel. It's not just enough to live out the gospel. That's vitally important. We've been entrusted with that. But we also, at some point, have to speak the gospel. And I'm grateful that people did that for me. And in those workplaces, especially at the town works department, where at that point it was all men who worked at the works department. And you know what? They were some of the the known characters in the community. Let's be honest, they didn't have the greatest reputation. 
And day one, working at the works department, they would ask all these uh, summer students, they called us the summer stooges because we had to do all the grunt work for four months while they got to drive the truck. (laughs) They didn't have to pick up any garbage at all. We did all that work. They would ask us, where are you going to school? Because, you know, there was University of Toronto, Sheridan College, and guess what I said? Central Baptist Seminary. Well, I can tell you this, at the works department in Georgetown, they never had anybody uh, attend, one of these summer students attend Central Baptist Seminary. They said, what is that and what do you do? (laughs) So I told them what it was. It was a Bible college. I was learning uh, the truth of God's Word, and one day I was either going to be a pastor or a missionary. So from day one, they called me Padre. I didn't have a name. They didn't call me Godfrey. They called me Padre. And you know what? That really hit me from day one. God's put me here for a purpose. And God gave me wonderful opportunities over those two summers to begin to speak into the lives of the men at the works department. They started, and at that point, I was only 19 and 20, those two summers. They began to ask me questions. They were struggling in their marriage. They'd ask a 19-year-old about their marriage. I didn't have a, I wasn't even, I couldn't even handle relate girl relationships at that point in my life. That was totally foreign to this shy little guy. (laughs) But they were asking me questions. But you know what I did know? I knew the truth of God's Word, what it said about marriage, because that had been invested in my life. And you're able to speak truth. You're able to share the good news of the gospel. Well, those men like to play baseball, many of them, and I like to play baseball. And so after work, We would have a practice four days a week, and then on weekends, we'd play in various tournaments in the community that raised money for local charities. So the the works department would put a team into these tournaments. It was all for fun. The the police officers, they would have a team. The firefighters, the paramedics would have a team, and, you know, the Lions Club would put a team in. All kind of the service clubs and all the, you know, those areas of work in the community would put teams into these tournaments. The first practice I showed up for, we'd practice for an hour, and then out would come the coolers. Now, you know what's in the coolers, right? After these men are practicing. The very first practice, and I wanted to hang around afterwards, and in my life, I've chosen not to drink alcohol. Well, the first thing, they open up the cooler, out comes the alcohol, but guess what they had put in that cooler for me? There was a can of Coke. I never asked them to do that. But it was out of respect for Padre that they had a can of Coke. We'd play in these tournaments on the weekends, great time. We'd have a barbecue at lunch, and the very first barbecue, guess what they asked me to do? They'd never done this before, but I guess they'd heard about it. They asked me to pray for the food. So I prayed for the food. They just felt that was the right thing to do. And they always made sure throughout the day there was something there for me to drink. Now, I can tell you this, by the time we got to, if we made it to the championship game, for the most part, I was the only guy in the outfield who knew where the ball was going. (laughs) But they saw that I was willing to spend time. And after graduation, I served for two years as a full-time intern. That was Maple Avenue Baptist Church in Georgetown. I still call it my home church. (laughs) I love that place. I am so grateful. Sylvie Maneri, by the way, was part of the same youth group that I was in growing up, and We overlapped at Central Baptist Seminary along with Hugh, her husband, and great to see Dave Lawson. We overlapped at Central as well. But they took me on as an intern, and it kept me in touch with those men at the works department. If you took in a box of donuts, they were totally fine with that. You could sit down and talk with any of them. (laughs) The very last Sunday, I was preaching on a Sunday morning that I was finishing my internship. God was directing me to a church in Markham as an assistant pastor. Uh, In the morning, the pastor had me preach. In the evening, they had a commissioning service. That Sunday morning, many of the men at the works department knew that was going to be my last Sunday in the community at the church. Eight of those men, unbeknownst to me, with their wives and their kids, they came to church that Sunday to hear me preach. Now, they didn't realize it was a Baptist church because do you know what they did? They walked in and they sat in the front pews. I was absolutely blown away. And I can tell you, some people in our church were thinking, these are not the normal men who attend Maple Avenue Baptist Church. But they came out of respect for me to hear me preach. I only share that not in any way to boast, but just to say we need to realize wherever our daily work 
takes us, we can win the respect of those who do not yet know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. We've been entrusted with the ministry and the message of reconciliation. I did a quick look this morning before the service. Population of Guelph, approximately, it said in 2017, 135,000. I know you have university students come in and out all the time as well. 135,000. Could this church begin to ask God, as you've been entrusted in this community or neighboring communities as ambassadors for Christ, you have the ministry and the message of reconciliation. God's put it in your hands. Yes, we don't save anybody. God does. But He delights in using us. Could we, could this church ask God for one half of one percent of this population come to repentance and faith in Jesus in the next five years? That's 675 people. Do you think that's unrealistic? I don't think so myself. What about one quarter of 1%. Ask God, is that, what would that do to this church? Wouldn't that be phenomenal if suddenly you, over the next five years, had 675 spiritual babies in your nursery that you have to care for and disciple and help them grow up in their faith so they, in turn, can invest in others? Guard your work. Number four, as we wrap up this morning, thank you for your patience. We must guard our will. We must guard our very soul. Ephesians chapter 6, common passage. Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of this dark age, this dark world. It's not against flesh and blood. So he says, put on what? The full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Can I ask you this this morning? As you guard your very soul, your will, when's the last time you prayed on the full armor of God before you left your house in the morning? I believe we need to do that each and every day. Yes, we can say we prayed it on and we always have it, and yes, we do, but could you imagine for a moment and, you know, pray for Afghanistan. It's, I've been in touch with folks who actually did tours of duty in Afghanistan when the Canadian military was there and fighting the enemy. And they are absolutely just heartbroken by what's going on right now, more than maybe any of us would be. But could you imagine one of those brave soldiers, uh, while they were there doing a tour of duty and facing the enemy, they decided one morning, they got up and said, you know what, I'm not going to put on my military uh, fatigues. I'm not going to carry the weapons that the military has provided for me. I'm not going to ride in the armored vehicle. I'm just going to walk ahead of my platoon as an everyday civilian, and I'm going to go and fight the enemy. What would you call that particular soldier? Absolutely foolish. But how often is that the way we leave our homes in the morning? Pray on the full armor of God. Memorize it. <laughs> Stick it up on the mirror in the bathroom. Put it on the fridge. <laughs> Wherever you are before you leave your home in the morning, we need the full armor of God. Most of the pieces are provided for our protection. You know, a breastplate, uh, a shield, a belt, uh, a helmet. They're for our protection. They're defensive pieces of armor. But there are two offensive pieces, the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God, and prayer on all occasions. So I would encourage us not only pray on those, uh, those pieces of armor for our protection, but also make sure before you leave your home in the morning, and it might mean you've got to get up earlier, you spend some time in the Word of God and in prayer. And then go out and face the enemy. And the enemy is not the people who don't know Jesus. The enemy is Satan and his demons, and they will do all that they can to ruin your testimony as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what they want to do because they know you can have influence in your day-to-day -day life, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your workplace. How do I remember it, how to do it? I, I strive to do it every morning when I put on these physical clothes. Now, I know you looked at me this morning and thought, boy, that guy is a, well, is a good dresser. Everything just coordinates. But I can tell you this, this has nothing to do with me. Before I leave home in the morning, if I'm up before my wife, everything is laid out for me in the bathroom. That's just the way it works. When I used to travel with Feb Central, and next weekend I'm going to be away for Thursday through Monday traveling up to Ottawa, uh, my wife, she packs my suitcase, 
and she layers everything. And there's a sticky note. This is what you wear to the seminar that you're teaching on Saturday morning. This is what you wear when you go out for dinner with that family on Saturday night. This is what you wear when you're preaching at that church on Sunday. Why do I need that? Because I'm useless when it comes to color coordination. Jeans and a t-shirt, no problem. I can do that. Even this morning, uh, my clothes were laid out in the bedroom. My wife was up. We had coffee together before I left. But these clothes were laid out for me after I got out of the bathroom. I need that. It came really as a result of my wife being terribly embarrassed many, many years ago, early on in our marriage. I walked into the church office at the church in Hamilton, where I was serving as a youth pastor, and the secretary said to me, uh, she didn't say, good morning, Pastor Godfrey, how was your youth group last night? How's Veronica? She said these words, you dressed yourself this morning, didn't you? (laughs) Thankfully, we had a good relationship. She was speaking the truth in love. (laughs) But you know what? She was absolutely right. So my wife decided from that day forward, you're not leaving this house and worrying about any color coordination. But you know what? I have to put on these physical clothes every morning. So it just reminds me to pray on the full armor of God. Whatever works for you, please find something. You need desperately to do that because Satan goes all out. He's a a wolf in sheep's clothing. He disguises himself as an angel of light. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's the father of lies. He attacks our very souls. We are commanded in the Word of God to do what? Love the Lord your God with your, all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, right? That's what we are commanded to do. Do you know what Satan will do? Sometimes he'll attack your mind. Sometimes he'll attack your heart, your emotions. Sometimes, with God's permission, as we see in the life of Job, he can attack you physically. Sometimes he attacks your very soul. Sometimes he attacks two things at once. Sometimes it's an all-out attack on all four. The very things we are commanded to love God with are the very things that Satan will attack in our everyday lives. We desperately need the full armor of God. But isn't it great for us to know this morning, as we consider guarding our very will, that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Paul says... Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul says, be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, strive to live a life that is worthy of imitation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that it is so practical and it's so relevant to our everyday lives as followers of Jesus. And I thank you this morning that your divine power gives us everything we need for life and for godliness. The power of God, the Holy Spirit, living within every true follower of Jesus. We have everything we need to live lives that are truly worthy of imitation. Lord, I pray for your protection. I pray, Lord, for strength. And I pray, Lord, that we would just guard carefully. We would guard our walk. We would guard our words. We would guard our everyday work. And we would guard our will, our very souls. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time together in Jesus' name.